When you hear an idea about God or about what a life with God is like, how do you know if that idea is legit? You know, someone says that the Bible teaches that the world was created by God in seven days, or at least six, and then he rested. How do you know if that's true? Someone says that the man is the head of the household. Well, that might be easy because we know that that, for the most part, is never true. Um, someone says that, you know, good Christians vote conservative or maybe more accurately, Republican. How do you know if that's legit? How do you know when truths about God are actually true? See, this idea of authenticating truth is uh, the basic idea that the Apostle Paul focuses on in this section of this letter that he wrote to a church in a place called Galatia that we've been starting to study uh, a couple weeks ago. And he kind of addresses that through the story of his very life. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that the Apostle Paul kind of started with some greetings to this church and he wished them nothing more than the fullest experience of the grace of God in their lives. But then shifted gears pretty significantly when we looked last week at what is pretty much the main purpose of the letter, his rebuke of certain emerging leaders in their church for polluting the integrity of that gospel. For taking the message of Jesus that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and adding to it a few kind of extra rules that people, they were trying to get people in the church to keep. To specifically Jewish rules, uh, rules about observing Sabbath days and not eating certain foods and things like that. These people were called Judaizers and the whole point of this book is Paul rebuking these Judaizers for polluting the gospel by watering down grace. Well now not surprisingly Paul has to validate the integrity of his message. He has to authenticate this truth. It's it's no different than you know two kids on the schoolyard when one says something to the other and the, the, the other looks at them and says who are you? You know, you're not the boss of me. Why are you telling me what to do? Uh, it's like two employees where one tells another one to go do something and they say, who told you to tell me to do that? Right? It's, it's all about authorizing or authenticating truth in order for it to stick. And in this particular section that we're going to look at today, you get the sense that that's what Paul's trying to address because specifically, and we'll understand this as we look into the text, specifically Paul is being kind of accused by those he's seeking to rebuke as not being legit. And because Paul's not legit, therefore this message that he's trying to rebuke them with is not legit. And they're trying to illegitimize Paul in two specific ways, if you're taking notes. Um, one is by saying that he's a second-rate apostle. And the second is by saying that he has a second-hand gospel. That his message isn't legit because Paul's just a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. You don't need to pay attention to him. And it's actually how Paul responds to them 
that I think you and I are going to learn and hear from God together today. So turn with me if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your personal device to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13 where Paul kind of addresses this first claim uh, of those he's rebuking that he's a second rate apostle. What they mean by that is that Paul isn't one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus that became the founders, kind of the founding fathers of the Christian church. And because he didn't have direct access to Jesus as one of those 12 apostles, he can't possibly care about the message as much as them. Because it was those 12 apostles, those original disciples who were kind of the forefathers of all of these Judaizers from whom they would have got their message in their minds. And so uh, beginning in verse 13 in Galatians chapter 1, Paul responds by saying two things. He says this, you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Here Paul says two things. First of all, he says to these Judaizers, you think I don't care about this. You have no idea how much I've cared about the Jewish law. And he talks about his background as a student, kind of getting ahead of his class and actually topping his class in the kind of Jewish training, Mike alluded to this in week one, by kind of the Jedi master of Judaism in that day, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And he says, I wasn't just trained so well. I actually was so into this that I was persecuting Christians. I cared about this more than you could ever imagine. But he says, the second thing is that he had a moment where, uh, as Mike described uh, a couple weeks ago, on this Damascus road, he encountered Jesus face to face. And from Paul's perspective, God revolutionized his heart and life. And in calling him to something totally different than the life of Judaism and persecuting Christians as he knew it, God rescued him from caring about those things as much as he used to. And so to these people who are accusing him of being a second-rate apostle, Paul actually says, not only did I care about the stuff that you care about way more than you care about it, But the reason I don't care about it anymore is because I had a face-to-face encounter with the risen Jesus himself. I have been directly, directly called by him. Well, then he moves on to kind of address this second criticism that not only is he a second-rate apostle, but he actually brings a second-hand message, a second-hand gospel. And the thinking is, because he wasn't trained by these founding fathers, specifically in the city of Jerusalem, where they basically resided, he must have had some misunderstood or, you know, lost in the telephone uh, kind of version of the message that he now is rebuking them with. Now, his message can't be legit because he hasn't been trained by these primary apostles. And so, again, he addresses this in two ways, beginning in uh, verse 15. We'll continue on. He says there, when God, 
who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But instead, he says, I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. After three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Well, interestingly enough, Paul responds, first of all, by affirming resolutely the very thing that they were accusing him of. That he wasn't trained by these Christian forefathers in the city of Jerusalem. Paul actually acknowledges, denies it, that that wasn't him at all. Instead, he says, he went to Arabia. Now that might not mean anything to you and me, but to a Jew reading this, they would understand the significance because Arabia essentially was synonymous for Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai was the place in the Jewish Old Testament where Moses met God face to face. And Mount Sinai was the place in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah met God face to face and God spoke directly to him through the still small voice. What Paul is saying is that instead of getting his teaching or training from these Jewish forefathers in uh, the city of Jerusalem, by going to Arabia, he spent time reflecting on and speaking to and hearing from God himself. So that when he went to Jerusalem, when he spent that minimal amount of time, he interacted with Cephas, who uh, is also named Peter, as well as Jesus' brother James, uh, in a very kind of incidental way to let them know that his message wasn't something that he was misunderstanding from them, but in fact, his message wasn't something he was trying to get from them at all. Instead, his message was coming, coming directly from time spent with God. To people accusing Paul of having a second-rate message because he wasn't receiving that message from these particular teachers, he says, my message is as valid as them because I'm receiving it directly from God himself. And to kind of further affirm that reality, he closes up in this way in this section of text in verse 21. He says, then after that, he says, I went to Syria and Cilicia. He says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judah that are in, Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. As if it wasn't enough for him not to spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. He says he never even entered kind of the region. That's what he means by Judea. Judea is the, the, the region around the city of Jerusalem. He says, but the impact of his life and the impact of his teaching affected those people in a way that these Judaizers had probably heard of. And he refers to that reputation simply as a person they talked about as having been changed by God. To Paul, he affirms to these Judaizers that his only kind of resume is that he's known as a person who's been with Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's kind of his point. 
which he makes at the very beginning of this section of text, but I skipped over it because it's in his introduction, kind of the main thing that the rest of this hangs on. And so you can scroll back or turn back to uh, verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1, where he introduces this response to those he'd rebuked that were trying to discredit him this way. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, meaning taught it by a human being. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul has just harshly rebuked a group of Judaizers. People were trying to add to the gospel, to the message of Jesus that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were trying to add to that some extra Jewish rules, but you've also got to follow these kind of practices or Jewish traditions. And Paul harshly rebukes them for that. So they're trying to discredit him by accusing him of being a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. But Paul says to them that not only was he directly called by God, he received his message, uh, receiving it directly from God, and his reputation as a result was simply as a person who'd been affected by and been with God himself. And where they tried to discredit him because he wasn't hanging around with the original apostles or implementing teaching that he learned from them, Paul is kind of making that his very point to them. See, they're accusing Paul of not being taught, not being influenced by these certain people. Paul is saying that maybe that's the whole point. Maybe because your gospel is received from human beings and from certain church leaders or founders of the Christian faith. Maybe that's why you've polluted it and watered down grace. Because, this is really his point, Paul says, the message of Christ, that a life with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, actually ultimately comes from God alone. That's the truth that Paul wants us and ultimately God through Paul wants us to kind of absorb and try to appreciate in our lives today. Much simpler, I suppose, to grasp uh, than it is to live out. To, to try to appreciate that at the end of the day, a life with God is about hearing from and learning from and being grown by God himself. It's not a life of propagating human traditions or propagating man-made practices or hearing from human influences. In fact, in many ways, those things can complicate and pollute our understanding of what a life of faith in Jesus Christ is all about. And Paul is saying that for ideas, for, for a way of life to be legit, it comes from and is driven by God himself. His point is that a pure gospel comes purely from God, rather than making the gospel about all kinds of other things made by human beings. It's funny, as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a time where on an Easter Sunday morning, 
I was kind of grazing through the lobby greeting people and a man came up to me and they extended their hand and I kind of wanted to greet them and welcome them to Easter Sunday that morning. And they said to me, he is risen. Now, I don't know if that's odd to you. Probably it is if you're new to the church. But if you're not new to Christianity, you may know uh, that this is part of a traditional Easter greeting. And that there's actually a way that you're supposed to respond when someone says to you on Sunday, he is risen. Put your hand up at your location. If you know how you're supposed to respond when someone shakes your hand and greets you on Easter Sunday with he is risen. Do you know what you're supposed to say? Say it out loud right now. What are you supposed to say? He is risen indeed. That's the response. Someone says he is risen. You say he is risen indeed. And I knew that, trust me, I knew that, but I could kind of get a sense from this person that they were sort of testing me in that, that they wanted to kind of determine if I was legit based on whether I knew the proper way to respond to their greeting. And so just to kind of be playful at first, uh, when, when they said to me, he is risen, I shook their hand and I said, isn't that amazing? That is certainly something to celebrate. But you could see the look of concern on his face. He kind of grabbed him by the arm and he said, you're supposed to say he is risen indeed. And so I leaned in a little bit more and I grabbed his other arm just gently and I looked him in the eye and I said, no, you're not. You're supposed to be amazed by this and this is supposed to be something to celebrate. See, in this particular case, someone had taken something that was meant to inspire a life with God and turned it into the thing that mattered most. And so what mattered most on Easter Sunday wasn't being mind-blowingly overwhelmed by the reality of the risen Jesus Christ and his love and life and power that's available to us by his grace. Right? Instead, what mattered most was whether you knew the handshake or whether you knew the secret code. That's what actually mattered most in their gospel on Easter Sunday. Reminds me of a, a set of grandparents that once said to their granddaughter, I'd heard this years ago, they said to their granddaughter, I hope one day you can find a good Mennonite boy to marry. And the girl looked at them and you said, you mean a, a good Christian boy? And they said, well, that'd be nice too. <laughs> and they kind of illustrate this idea that when you take man-made practices, human traditions, or human influences and you make them matter more than they ought to, that's how you pollute the gospel and water down grace in the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. Now, obviously, I don't want to be heard as writing off the value of all human tradition. We know around here that, especially in this environment, we often in our spiritual gymnasium are trying to expose people and trying to teach and train people by using time-tested spiritual practices that have been proven to help people get to know and experience God for hundreds of years. I'm also not trying to write off the way that God speaks through human influences. If I was, I would walk away because I'm trying to do that now. What I am trying to do is to put those in perspective and make sure in the way that we live our life of faith, all of those things serve as means to the greatest end rather than becoming in our minds part of the end itself. Because when human traditions, man-made rules and practices, and human voices and influence become the end, well, now we've polluted the gospel of by grace alone, 
in faith, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So getting practical for a moment, I think that there are really two questions that each of us need to wrestle with today. The first question uh, is simply this. Whose voice influences you the most? Whose voice influences you the most? Right? Who do you ultimately listen to? Who is your source of truth? To the Apostle Paul, he was not intending to be anyone's source of truth. In fact, he says that overtly in another letter that he wrote to a different church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says there, are you not acting like humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each task. Paul's message is that human voices only serve to articulate and point people to the voice of God. So the question is, what role do voices play in our lives? Do we make decisions simply because the pastor said so? Do we believe things simply because our parents told us so you know do we do things because the youth pastor wants us to or because our small group says it's right or because we you know read it on the internet or we watched our favorite uh, celebrity internet preacher we saw it in a blog or we you know we heard on a podcast or what role do human voices play in our lives and do we understand that the whole point of human voices is actually to, to direct us and help us hear the voice of God? Because the truth is God wants to speak and to relate to each of us in a personal way. God wants a personal relationship with you and me, no matter who we are or what we've done. That's the good news of his grace. But it requires us to do things to try to hear him speak to us. It requires us entering into the word that he's given us and actually exposing ourselves to reading the Bible. It means appreciating that the Bible requires interpretation most times. And so we need to access supplementary sources to help us do that. It means that the whole Bible ultimately tries to point to the person of Jesus. So are we focusing on him the most? That's why we've been working through this multi-week uh, daily reading through the gospel of Luke. The biographical account of Jesus' life. So we can focus on Jesus and what he teaches and what he's about the most. It's all about trying to, to expose ourselves to what he would say. So as we're reflecting and praying into and asking God to reveal what we're reading so that we can hear from him. You know, it, it means uh, reading and studying the scriptures in community and particularly in a diversity of community, not just in a uh, kind of an echo chamber that's going to reinforce our ideas in some kind of groupthink way. And in those diverse community environments, it means looking for and listening for the fruit of God's spirit and leaning into the kind of voices that are exuding the character of Jesus and maybe leaning a little bit more away from those who are exuding a character that's contrary to the Jesus that you're learning to know more and more. The question is, are the primary voices in our lives other people or is the primary voice in our lives the voice of God through his word in the person of Jesus himself? 
Second question is a little kind of bigger picture. It's quite simply, do you understand how spiritual growth works? Do you understand how spiritual growth works? Because most of us automatically assume that spiritual growth is the process of building on or adding to your faith. So, you know, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to receive this grace by faith, you know, in Christ. And I'm going to add some stuff. And as I become more mature, I demonstrate my maturity by adding more things, right? I mature by adding to my Sunday morning service attendance, attending church on Sunday evenings or in the middle of the week or joining a small group or serving in an anchor cause or using my gifts in a ministry. I'm going to add to my faith a personal devotion time. I'm going to add to my faith listening to worship music. I'm going to add to my faith raising my hands when we sing in church. Right? I add certain things to my faith. Then it gets really ridiculous. I'm going to add to my faith, you know, a bumper sticker on my car. I'm going to add to my faith a, a tattoo with like a Bible word or a, you know, Christian verse or something. I'm going to add to my faith spiritual quotes on my social media page. I'm going to add to my faith a cross on my, on my uh, necklace. You know, I'm going to add things to my faith because I assume that adding things is how you mature in your faith. Well, the Bible teaches that adding things is how you mature to your, in your faith. Uh, the question is, which things? You take a look at what uh, one of the Christian forefathers uh, or founders named Peter uh, wrote in a letter that he wrote in the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 1, he says there, Because of God's grace, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these character qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter says, you know what you're supposed to add to your faith? Grace. And you know what you add to your faith on top of grace? More grace. And then you add to your faith a deeper understanding of grace. And you add to your faith a, deep, a deeper expression of grace. And that's actually the whole point of a life of faith is just to add increasing understanding and experience of the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ that is made possible by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. In fact, I hope that we can appreciate that for many of us, the journey of spiritual growth and maturity in many ways involves detangling and kind of peeling back the layers of human tradition and man-made practices and rules and regulations and church programs and policies and, you know, human influences and other voices that can distract and pollute and compromise the purity and simplicity and actually the full power of the gospel and our experience of it in our lives. So, as a person who is playing the role of a human influence in a church that provides all kinds of programs and you know, policies and practices and things that we try to invite people into, let me be abundantly clear that at the end of the day, that is my greatest wish for you. And around here, we talk about inviting people into three primary programs. Attending our weekend services regularly, participating in life group during the week, and activating ourselves in our location-specific anchor causes. We do that because around here, we unapologetically are trying to foster a three-dimensional lifestyle. What in our Southridge speak is called inspiration, connection, and action. 
But we do all that, not because that's the point. We do all that, the language we use, is in order to foster a lifestyle of full devotion to Christ. That's it. To foster a lifestyle of full devotion to Christ. That is what we're about and nothing less. And I hope that in your life, you will settle for nothing less and settle for nothing less than hearing directly from God to discover that. Don't reduce your faith to what Mike says or what the elders collectively believe or what the youth pastor thinks or, you know, what we kind of invite you to in the limitation of the, the programs that we have. Allow yourself to be kind of formed through those practices and through those programs to experience the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. You know, personally, I don't often quote, you know, other teachers as other man-made influences, but ironically, I, I, I read something this week uh, from a religious leader and it kind of struck me. They said, you know, most of the time, People treat humanity as simple, which is why we make religion so complicated. When in reality, Jesus did the opposite. He understood that people were complicated, which is why he made the gospel so simple. And you know, as I think about what God through Paul is seeking to teach his audience and ultimately us today, I kind of resonate with what that Bible teacher was saying, and I want to encourage all of you to not settle for a faith that is anything less. Don't settle for a diluted, polluted, man-made, human-influenced, compromised version of the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ for your life. Actively engage in seeking that out for yourself every single day by seeking to know and understand and hear the voice of God who wants to personally relate with you. Because the truest gospel that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, ultimately only comes from God alone. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you again for uh, making your word available to us and for wanting to speak to us and wanting to relate directly to each one of us. I pray right now that by your spirit across all of our locations, you would impress that on every single one of our hearts. That no matter who we are or what we've done, you want to know and be known and personally relate to each of us made possible by your grace through faith because of what Jesus has done. Help us to respond today by pursuing you and only you, by aspiring to a pure and simple devotion to you, and by using all of the opportunities that we have in community in a place like this, and all of the resources that we have in literature and books and podcasts and even communicators of your word. Help us to use those as means to the ultimate end, and never, God, never make those the end unto themselves. Please protect us from polluting your gospel. Protect us from watering down grace and help us to seek the wonder of a life lived by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, through you alone. We love you and thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.